0: Good morning, everybody. I am so happy to greet you all on this very beautiful day, um, saying hello to friends from all over who have uh, written in, and um, feeling very lucky for this beautiful spring day. I don't know about you, but I grew up on a steady diet of fairy tales. I devoured collections of grim fairy tales I had several big fat books that just were beautifully illustrated and had uh, dozens of fairy tales in them and I would just read them over and over again and my absolute favorite thing before bedtime was to have my mother tell me and my sister Korean fairy tales folk tales essentially which she did and She is a very good storyteller. She comes from a line of storytellers in her family. Now, if you think about it, fairy tales, at least the ones that are not sanitized or softened, can be quite frightening. Every fairy tale has some malevolent antagonist or some force of evil that has to be overcome, like Little Red Riding Hood's wolf or the giant, the top of Jack's beanstalk, or the wicked stepmother in so many fairy tales, or the troll who lives under the bridge. Bruno Bettelheim and other scholars talk about the importance of having stories that allow children to explore their fears and even ugly emotions, that those stories can help children solve some of their existential problems such as separation anxiety or Oedipal conflict or sibling rivalries. In addition, I always found it wonderful that in fairy tales and folk tales, you could, you could see the strength and courage of ordinary people. Often in fairy tales, it was it was the humble servant, or the poor farmer who taught a lesson to the king or to the rich nobleman. I saw this beautiful quote from Albert Einstein who said, if you want your children to be intelligent, read them fairy tales. If you want them to be very intelligent, read them more fairy tales. It's funny to think of one of the world's greatest scientists, seeing the root of intelligence from something as magical and, I don't know, ungrounded in science as fairy tales. But I think Einstein understood something very deep and true. This is not just for children, it's for us as well. In the face of so many frightening things in our society, so many malevolent antagonists we can find, so much polarization. I think we are tasked with trying to understand these forces of evil. We're trying to find our place when we feel helpless in the face of edicts that come from the metaphorical king. But as Maria Popova said, which I thought was beautiful, fairy tales make us children and grown children alike kinder and more resilient by grounding us in the knowledge, a primal knowledge we unlearn as we grow up and grow frightened of feeling. The knowledge that the terrible and the transcendent spring from the same source that our capacity for sorrow and our capacity for love spring from the same source. That the measure of life's beauty and magic is not the absence of terror and tumult, but the presence, persistence, and grace with which we face reality on its own terms. What a profound teaching about the power of these fairy tales, which help us understand how interconnected the forces of terrible and transcendent and sorrow and grief and beauty and magic and terror, how intertwined they all are, how they all emanate from a single source. This morning I wanted to share one of the most famous fairy tales that come out of Korea. My guess is you've never heard it before. It dates back to the Chosun dynasty some 500 years ago. And I grew up hearing the story from my mother, but it is really one of the best known in all of Korea. It's the tale of Hungbu and Nolbu. So settle down and let me tell you a story. Hongbu and Nolbu were brothers of a very rich man Nolbu, the older brother, was very greedy and cold hearted, but his younger brother, Hyungbu, was kind and empathetic. The day that their father died, Nolbu, as the eldest child, inherited the family fortune, which he was supposed to use to support the entire family. But instead, he kicked Hyungbu and their family out of the compound and left him to build a shack on the outskirts of town. Hyung Bu did not complain and accepted his fate. One autumn when the harvest was particularly bad, Hyungbu's family had very little to eat. So he went to his brother's house to beg for some food for his children. Nolbu's wife, who was just as cruel as her husband, was cooking in the kitchen. She refused to give him anything when he asked for food, and instead struck him on the face with her rice ladle. Hyangbu did not complain. Carefully, he scraped the rice from his cheek. He asked her to strike him again, thinking him silly and stupid. She did as he asked, but Hyangbu just gathered the rice from the other cheek and he used it all to feed his children. On the way back home, Hyangbu saw a snake inching close to a baby bird, a little swallow. Hyungbu chased the snake away and saw that the swallow had had a broken leg when it fell out of the nest. Hyungbu nursed the little swallow, put a little stent around the, the leg, and he and his children fed it little insects until it grew up and healed, and then flew away with it, the rest of its family when it was time. Three days later, the swallow came back with a little pumpkin seed and dropped it in Hyunwoo's hand. He planted the seed in his backyard and waited for the plant to mature. And it yielded three pumpkins that grew larger than any other gourds he had ever grown. When it was time for the harvest, Hyunwoo and his family cut open the first gourd and much to their surprise, rice flowed out of the gourd in an almost never ending supply. They cut open the second gourd and it was filled with piles of gold. They cut open the third, and inside was a little imp who promptly set about building Kyungbu and his family a new home. Kyungbu and his family were overjoyed. They immediately shared their newfound wealth with all the people of the village, inviting people for meals to their home every night, giving shelter to strangers. News of Hyungbu's good fortune quickly spread to his older brother Nolbu. Nobu ran to his brother's home and asked him, Tell me, how did you get rich so quickly? Hyungbu happily shared the entire story, which Nolbu took in with greed. He found a swallow's nest and waited, but realized he would never get what he wanted by waiting, so he grabbed a little swallow from the nest and broke its leg. Then he waited for it to heal. When the swallow flew away, it returned three days later with a seed. Nobu was amazed and thrilled. It was just as hyungu had told him. Nobu planted the seed. Nobu planted the seed and three large pumpkins grew. When it came time for the harvest, Nobu gathered his children around him to see the spoils. He split the first pumpkin open, and out came little imps who beat him and chided him for his greed. Those little imps split open the second gourd, which was filled with debt collectors who demanded payment. They split open the third gourd and it unleashed a deluge of muddy waters that flooded Nobu's home. Nobu and his wife suddenly lost all of their wealth. Nobu was chastened and humbled. He realized his mistake of all these years of his terrible greed. He went to Hungu and begged for forgiveness. And hyun welcomed them into his home. And of course, they lived happily ever after. Now, I will leave it to you. What message you might want to take from this story? There's, of course, the simple message of do good and get rewarded and do bad and get punished, which is the entire theme of next week's Torah portion. There's, of course, the warning story of the evil of greed. And there is the quiet revolution in this story of the younger challenging the right of inheritance of the eldest son or the poor challenging the social order and hierarchy of the landed gentry class. And there's, of course, the message that a person can change. I bet you could find many other stories, messages as well from this story. For me, the power of fairy tales is how they hit us differently at different points in our lives, how we can read our lives into them. My mother would not only tell this story, but somehow it all got mixed up into the story of her own family because you see her father was the younger brother of a greedy older brother who also inherited the whole family's land and wealth. And when my fa- my mother's family came back from Japan after World War II where they had been during the Japanese occupation the story goes that her father's older brother who had a big house and much land put my mother's family of nine into a single room shed in the back of their home and she told me the story of the rice paddle somehow that story from mm-hmm. young and NoBU also made it into the story of her own family. I'm not sure if it was true, but it was true in that sense of, you know, the way we remember. Now, in Judaism, we also have folk tales, legends, mythology. We can call it all under this big, big category of Agadah. And yes, it sounds like Hagada like we use for a Passover Seder because it has the same root of legend, or storytelling, essentially. And our, of course, we have Agadah all through our sacred literature. And I love Agadah because magical things can happen in Agada, just like in real life. We learn morals. We see fates reversed. We see that people can change. And we understand that every person holds all the good and the evil of the world and that we are always making decisions on how we are going to respond. So taking that in, a little story time today. I invite you to close your eyes and offer gratitude for the gift of this day. Thank you, God, for the gift of this day. And let's count the Omer. Today is 24 days of the Omer. So we'll take all this in. And if you'd like a mantra, I invite you to use the word agada. This legend that in some ways can sometimes be even more true than we know, or to focus on your breath and don't mind the time. Ye you libat son imray fi i don't i don't know Sending you off with many blessings for this beautiful day. See you next week.